MFs, welcome back. Hustle like you broke. Coming to you from hazy Los Angeles, California today, where the smog of yesteryear may be less than before on account of fewer cars on the road, but it's been replaced by a perceptible amount of ash that accumulates on the vehicles as they sit out overnight. There's a faint orange glow on the horizon. Not so bad as we're seeing in pictures from the Bay Area, but it's clearly visible and the smell of burning embers is unmistakable. I have been here for five days now, landed at BUR around 11 o'clock last Saturday and it was still over 100 degrees. Hit about 114 on Sunday. I heard reports of 122 in Van Nuys. It's funny how several days over 100 makes the low 90s feel oddly comfortable. Mentioned on last week's podcast, it had been six months since I'd been on a plane. First time that had happened in more than 20 years. I would imagine that's the case for most of our guests today. Uh, most of our hosts, I should say, rather. Um, definitely an interesting experience. Food and beverage service is changed. Gone are the surprisingly decent meals. <laughs> replaced by more COVID-friendly options, i.e. not very good. Uh, after, you know, being told to distance for so long, Herding an entire plane full of people into one small contained space is a mindfuck. And I'd forgotten what it was like to eat in a restaurant. I got to be honest, I had not done, I've done takeout plenty of times. I know outdoor dining back east where I'm from is a thing. Uh, the restrictions here in LA, I'm not entirely clear. A lot of the restaurants are empty, closed, or doing takeout only. The hotel Staying in a hotel during this time is fucked up. The, the restaurants are closed. You're wearing masks everywhere you go. I guess you can grab a poolside snack out of doors, but there is no food service. I, I haven't tried the room service yet. Uh, it, it, it's oddly normal to go into some of the outdoor dining spaces that were here. I was at Dantana's. Last night, I swear the capacity has actually increased over before in light of the amount of space they are using. Uh, I saw Brother Banks out to dinner a couple nights ago. Brother Banks, you're back with us today. I am back. It is good to be back. Sorry for my absence. Hello to all. Well, we are happy to have you back. For those of you who don't know couldn't know. Frankly, I wasn't entirely clear myself. I have referred to Brother Banks and his work in the houses of the unholy, but it wasn't until the other day that I discovered something very interesting. Now, Banks, oh. <laughs> Banks, we know. Banks has worked with me on Kendrick. He's worked with me on SZA and a couple other artists. He's worked with J-Lo. He's got a long resume, but Banks has the ultimate resume booster under his belt now. Banks is literally working for God. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. It's like 
touched by an angel, some crazy <laughs> shit. Like Banks was telling us he works with, what is it, like 47? Stop it. No. <laughs> come on. Come on. Oh, You're like yeah. the oh, entire oh. network, the global network of God. Like Chris is their number one production manager. He's the lead rigger. He's the the lighting engineer. Bank, Banks. I mean, don't be humble. Come on. Now's the time to speak up. Talk, talk to us. Church of Chris is open and all are welcome. That's all I'll say. Well, there it is. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, you say all, but let's be honest. Also joining us on the program, my other motherfucker, Kyle Hamilton. Good evening. I mean, Banks, is Kyle really welcome in, in, in these, these, these houses of the unholy? Yeah, Kyle is in the, involved with them as well. I mean, we're all doing what we have to do. You know, there's a need, and we're all trying to fill that fill the void. You know. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, you got to give back. You got to. Always. I mean, I'm all about collecting checks, but I'm just I, I'm just trying to to you know fit all these pieces together here. That's all I'm saying. I. I MF, what do you think? I mean, talk to us. You, you, frankly, you hit me up the other day. Oh, you're here in LA. Let's get together. But you've been like elusive ever since, playing hard to get or something. Well, now you're sitting in your truck outside, loading other, you know, this that going okay. on. I'm not even as sure. As you just said, as you just said, being elusive. But no, yesterday I did iHeart Music Festival. Today I'm doing a load in, and I'm in my mobile office, i.e., my truck. So. <laughs> In lieu of trying, in lieu of canceling today, like Banks did, I had to, you know. Ouch! <laughs> I made I made options to, you know, keep it moving. So I'm here, and you know, I've rocked with the Luya. You know, we get it in, and I got some Luya tonight too. So you know, I'm full R&B right now. Luya to eat this evening. Back to R&B tomorrow. Thanks. He just threw you under the bus after you do nothing but defend him all the time. I mean, come on. How do you put up with this shit? I mean, I got to do what I got to do. I, 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 I graciously apologize. I said, I'm sorry. I tried my best to move things around. But, you know, God needs my undivided attention sometimes. You know, and I, I agree, you know, but for me right now, see, Luya trumps certain things. So if it was if this was Luya, I wouldn't be in my truck. So if this is R&B. I'm in my truck. Luya, he calls it. Well, Dallas, Dallas, let's bring you out now. I want your take. You you don't strike me as nearly the uh the, the God fearing sort, uh like Brother Banks and 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 Mr. Motherfucker. What what, what do you have to say about it? Damn, he just called you a heathen. I know. I'm like, what? Um, are you saying what exactly are you saying? You're spiritual free? <laughs> you saying the place will burn down if I walk in it? That's what he's saying. I think he did. I feel like he I'm did. pretty sure the ba- the place would burn down if I walked into it. So I was actually relating you to me, okay, Dallas. But I see you taking that as as heathen like. I, I I hear what's going on here. I see what I see what what's Look, happening right now. This is 2020. I am leaving all options open for some goodness. So whether what my beliefs are irrelevant at this point. I'm just trying to hope that anything will save me from this disaster anything positive that's right that's what i'm going for (laughs) anything possible fair enough well i i just want to say before we bring out today's guest moving away from the current topic that 
the way things are going these days and the the work that we are are getting right now those of us that are fortunate to be getting work and and I consider myself fortunate to have been on a plane for the first time in 6 months going to be gainfully employed it's it is fucking wild i mean this whole notion of covid compliance the way it's enforced you can't even have a sip of water sitting behind a drum kit sitting behind a console you have to take that shit outside you there is no eating in 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 the facility if there isn't a tent outside you can sit in your car you can sit on the fucking sidewalk i mean if you can walk away and you've got enough time so be it but catering is definitely i mean forget like we talked about with catering being something that has to be served to you you know from behind a glass because you know, people can't be serving themselves anymore. I mean, there is no catering at all at the at, at the the facility where I am. And and I mean, I suppose we could have hired something to be set up in the parking lot of SIR where it's a hundred degrees, but that doesn't feel like a very good option either right now. So it is a new world. It is different and it is fucking crazy. And on that note, we do have a great guest today. Very fortunate to have him, has been in this business for 37, 38 years now, as I understand. He is the production manager, designer, tour director for Bieber. He's been with Janet, Kanye, Ariana Grande, Guns N' Roses, List goes on and on and on, dating back to, I guess, the early 90s. Look forward to hearing his thoughts, diving in to all of that. Please welcome to the program, Chris Gratton. Hello. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate you being with us. And certainly, uh, we discussed beforehand, you have history with Kyle, you have history with Dallas, so... Look forward to hearing some stories about that. Uh, definitely appreciate all of you guys and, uh, you know, appreciate the work that you've been doing for so many years. We've certainly seen, if not been a part of, so many of these major productions. And uh, please, I mean, jump in. Tell us. Tell us a little bit about your, your background, your story, I believe, you had a history or your family had a history in theater. Uh, so it started yeah. as an early age for you. Yeah, I start. I kind of grew up in the business. My mother worked with uh, Michael Legrand and Johnny Mathis when I was quite young. I grew up in New Hampshire. I had moved to Europe for a small amount of time with my family. Uh, my father worked for Raytheon, uh, the NATO division of Raytheon, which is called Raytaz in Europe. So he was... Uh, it started as a forklift op, but Raytheon is actually a phenomenal company. Every time you get to a new growth point, they actually put you through school to go up. So he went from a forklift op to a major accountant on the Patriot Sidewinder and a bunch of other products, projects. So that's what took us to Europe and then back again to New Hampshire. We did. My parents split. My mom opened up a theater. I dropped out of school and ran the theater with her where I was fortunate enough to meet Tom Fields. Tom Fields is from TFI, um, originally a big lighting and sound company turned lighting, 
eventually went all the way down to Electrotech, and Electrotech before Pierre died was the final part of that. So after Tom taught me how to tie my clove hitches and my knots when I was like 12, eventually he introduced me to Spy Matthews at Delicate Productions, um, and I eventually found my way out to California via New Mexico, where I stopped and grew weed for a few years, and then came out here um, and got introduced to the whole West Coast family. I had done some original tours back on the East Coast with a couple of mime companies and theater groups, um, and then it led me to working with In Excess on one of their original kick tours as a follow spot captain, which meant I drove around to 14 footer as a teenager behind all their buses and trucks and set up six follow spots every day. I did that for a couple months um, on the Eastern seaboard, um, but eventually coming out West here and settling um, and working for Delicate. And then from there, things kind of took off. So yeah, it's, it's been my whole life. I've never done anything but marijuana industry and, and music. So music's been it for like 30 years now. Um, it's been amazing. Love it. Um, but I've, you know, I've never knew anything else. Now, back up a quick second, because you said you were born in New Hampshire. Whereabouts? I'm just curious. I was born in Manchester, um, raised in Derry. My kids are actually ninth generation New Hampshireites. And the family, Grattan side of the family, um, founded two of the towns in New Hampshire. Um, Which towns? Derry and Derry Village. I definitely um, know Derry. I'm from Boston myself. So oh, nice. I used to work at the Huntington and a few other places um, before I came out west. Um, with a, a, a Susan, a woman named Susan, who was like the technical director for a lot of those theaters down there. Um, but yeah, my family, uh, started the school board and stuff in Derry and Derry village. Um, actually I was just back there just before COVID, like the day before COVID, we had to fly home actually and cut a family trip short. Uh, cutting the trip short, that, uh, rings true to me as well. Flying home, COVID hits, time to get out of here. Yada, yada. That's yeah, it's brutal. We had to get back to Burbank and strike JB. We were the last ones to leave center staging. We held on for an extra almost two weeks um, and then finally cashed it in. Yeah, you guys were actually, as I understood, really still holding out hope that the tour could come off this year. I, I remember hearing that by way of uh, by way, probably Mike Drew at PRG as the... Yeah plans were coming together and everything was still on course. And I, I want to say, you know, Coachella finally gets canceled and there's still a glimmer of hope. But then at a certain point, again, you may have been one of the last holdouts and kudos for that. But I mean, here yeah, we, we tried, but <laughs> we saw it coming quick. So, uh, yeah, we did hold out for a long time and we're fortunate. Most of the band at this point has moved to L.A., so it was a little easier to stick together. You know, we let the dancers go a few days before we let the band go. Um, but yeah, it was March 20th, pretty much by the time everybody was home. And it was like March 22nd by the time we emptied center staging. That is late too. I, I had been yeah. in Indonesia myself and I looked back the other day just trying to figure out exactly how long it had been since my September 5th flight out this way. 
And it right. was March 3rd that I flew home from Jakarta as the festival got canceled just as it was about to start loading in. And I haven't worked since. And, and I'm, again, I mean, that's just the state of the world. It is, it is wild. It is crazy. I look at Polestar every morning and, you know, <laughs> it's a rare day that there's any reference to a live event that's actually happening now. Right. Um, funny actually there was an article just yesterday i think about the the drive-in season coming to a close and i'm thinking coming to a close jesus we've done so little <laughs> right insane insane so so go back then so you actually dropped out of high school in order to start working and did you say you were on the road with in excess at 16 yep Doing their follow spots, they came through. I was working for the small company, actually. I know Kyle knows Toby Francis. Yep. I don't know about the rest of y'all. But um, Toby worked at the same company I did called Soundcraft in Dover, New Hampshire. They um, became well-known. They built the first Aerosmith speakers. Brian Sullivan, I believe was his name. That was a long fucking time ago, but. Brian, the guy that owned Aircraft, was their original uh, sound engineer in the company behind Aerosmith. And Toby, I looked up to then because he was doing Aerosmith and the big bands. And I'm driving a little 14-foot rider for like Fog Hat and all these lame club bands, which usually I got kicked out before the show started because they'd figure out I was too young. But at least I'd have the lighting rig set up um, before I got kicked out. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was great. And it was, you know, I didn't work again with Toby until after I moved out here and biscuit started taking off after I finished all my tool stuff. Cause I was with tool for years. And then I met Toby ML pro size was like, Hey, why don't you hire Toby for Limp biscuit? I'm like, who the fuck is Toby? Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, we we're sitting in the back of the bus one day and realized I was that guy and he was that guy. Um, and that was 94 or something like that. Um, so that was pretty funny to go full circle with Toby. Um, but yeah, we, they, a lot of stuff was coming out of there because you had aircraft, there was Aerosmith and you had rainbow lighting, which was really the first big East coast touring lighting company. Yep. Still there today, barely hanging on, but still, uh, still there to this day. Yeah. I, I remember seeing that. And there's another small, forget his name in Hampton. There's a small lighting sound company there too, but I drove by that when I was home and uh, I was like, holy shit, I couldn't believe he was still open. Are you, so, is that port lighting? God, I just don't remember, but it's right there in Hampton, um, right off the main drag. Um, it, I just remember an older gentleman. I'd have to go there and pick up gels and stuff back many years ago. So, that could be port. They're high-end lighting company actually doing some pretty – pretty sophisticated work with with the stadiums actually in the boston area these days nice. but, uh, yeah it's well, tom uh, tom had high output for a while in boston mm-hmm. um, but he he left boston he's down in san diego now working on like 12th doctor or something i guess he's writing books now um, but yeah there's a lot of work back there or was for, well, there there were bit, certainly a, a number of bands between Aerosmith and Boston and Jay Giles and what have you coming out of that, out of the Northeast at that time. Oh, yeah. And a ton of punk rock. I was doing, you know, Gigi Allen, VFW, The Queers. I did a bunch of a bunch of those bands, too, at all the 
local Masonic temples and all that crap. But uh, yeah, there was a ton of music coming out of there then. Definitely was. A lot of reggae too. A lot of good reggae. Well, the ska scene all, you know, basically started, not started, but it kind of blew up out of the Boston's and them and a number of those acts in that time. And when Lansdowne Street was booming and Bill's exactly the the hardcore shows. I was down there all the time. Yeah, actually, I should give a quick shout out right now uh, to my buddy Mick, who was in a great band that played Bill's regular. I don't know if you remember Gangsta Bitch Barbie but he was the drummer of that band. Wow. They were actually one of the first signings um, on Grand Royal. Huh. And, uh, and Mick actually is has ALS and unfortunately is fading away fast right now. Oh, that's the most brutal one. My all-time sound hero, no offense, Kyle, but Harry Andronis from the Zappa mirrors and everything, he, he passed away of ALS many years ago. Actually, one of the two times I only dropped off the road was to take care of Harry when he got ALS. And I'll tell you, man, it took a six foot four Greek giant down to about a hundred pounds of nothing yeah, very that, quickly. It's a nasty disease. It's brutal. I'm getting, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Mick lives right around the corner from me. And, uh, and he actually just, he and his wife just built a house a year and a half ago. And it's, it's beautiful. And there are a bunch of steps to get up to the front porch. And when I saw the little outdoor elevator get built in because he's now in a wheelchair and yep. can't climb stairs. And it's, he was a, he was a big dude. And yeah, it's, it's just terrible. It's terrible. So shout out to you, Mick. And uh, I man, hope one day there's a cure for ALS. So, huh, so switching gears on that, I mean, you just talked about the fact that, you know, there were only a couple of times in your life that you've been off the road. And, and that's one of the interesting things in your story is that you really, from by all accounts, you work, you know, nine, 10 months out of the year. You're rarely off the road. Your family comes onto the road with you. I mean, talk to us about the about life on the road and, and really yeah. just... Bad existence. It's changed. Chris is the road. Shit. Well, Mr. Kyle, I've been on the road with Mr. Kyle in Africa and probably almost every continent there is. But no, it's 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 become better, you know, with technology and everything, you know, as far as having kids. And of course, I'm a roadie of too long, so I have one divorce. You know, um, my ex. Or is, is nearby. My kids are here. We spend, you know, it's two weeks on, two weeks off of them. Um, but through, you know, Skype and everything now, you know, you can, you can see your kids. So I watched my kids grow up, pardon me. I watched my kids grow up, you know, through a computer screen, basically. Um, I did, you know, we planned on that going into it. I was with my first wife while I was on the road and we decided out of choice to do that. Um, so she then stayed off the road and helped raised him for a while. Then I would come and go, um, and eventually it became easier, of course, with Skype and everything else. And now, of course, they come to a lot of my shows, if not all of my shows. And with my now wife, we have a two week rule. So we're no matter what, we're never apart for more than two weeks. It just makes for a much healthier relationship. 
um, regardless. So that means that she's traveled throughout the world with me. Um, the last Bieber tour, she did over 50 countries with us. So she'd come out for like two weeks, every two weeks. Um, wow. Yeah, it got expensive, but you know what? We have an extremely healthy relationship, the best relationships I've ever had in my life. Um, she has a great relationship with my ex-wife and my children, and we've all, it's all, we've figured it all out, you know, and it's, I'm blessed that way that we found ways um, to make it work on the road because I'm a vagabond. Before this, I used to follow the dead. It's like I'm always moving, you know, between traveling with my father when I was a child to following the Grateful Dead, to doing all of this. I mean, I still, on breaks, I still go see the dead. You know, so if I have two weeks off and the dead are playing, I go, you know. Um, <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do. You know, I did take a, a few years off. I didn't like a, a couple of the bands that were came out of that after Jerry died, but it's been great of recent years. Um, but I definitely digress there. So, I mean, it, it was... You know, my kids know me as that. You know what I mean? I just, I'm in the industry and that's the way it works. And now that they're 15 and 17, they understand it. We talk about those days a lot. Um, it's not much damage done for me being gone because we went out of our way. I, For the first 10 years of both of their lives, no matter where I was, I'd get postcards for them in every city worldwide. And so they have over almost a full decade each of postcards from every city I was in on any tour I was. And um, one of my daughters is really good. She kept everything scrapbooked at all. So she has tours. She'd take the art from the tour itineraries and put it on the front, whatever. She has all these books of where I was, when I was, you know, throughout her whole childhood, you know. That's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, one of my assistants turned me on to it, uh, Janet, who used to send a, a postcard to her grandmother every day. Um, and that's what made me jump into it. And so it was great. And still to this day, you know, I get cards from my kids. I'm not nearly as good as I used to be, but they also call me all the time now or text or, you know, I'm fortunate we still communicate really well. Not all teenage daughters want to talk to their daddy all the time, you know. <laughs> um, but we have we have a great relationship. And I will say during COVID, that's been the silver lining. It's been amazing. I'm so close with my girls. Um, it's been, a, I've never had this much time at home ever. You know, Kyle knows, people knows me close. My wife got very sick in 17 um, and I dropped off the road to take care of her, became full nurse for her and dealt with uh, her dying on a couple times on the surgical table and I she had a colostomy bag for a while that I had to learn to deal with and you know she dropped down to 70 pounds and you know it was a nine months of excruciating hell so then I was off the road for that period of time but we were I was busy 24 hours a day with her I had to change her change her medicine every couple hours so I was constantly my alarm clock was always set for two and a half hours from whenever I try to nod out um so it's different this time because now we're healthy and we have all this time together for the family and I'm not doing shows. Last time I didn't even think about not doing a show because my whole brain was taking care of her. That was it. This time I'm like, it's fucking killing me. You know, <laughs> fucking hate it. Like, well, we did the uh, benefit the other night, the, you know, light it up thing. Um, and I got the dump trucks and, light buildings and we had a blast it was great hanging out with roadies again even though we made no money we gigged for a couple of weeks you know so it was great 
Well, I mean, so many questions out of that, that story you just told. I, first, I got to ask you, I mean, balancing that home life work balance is, is, it's been hard for me. I know that. And my 10 year old sometimes resents me for the time I've spent away. And after six months at home has kind of gotten used to me being around and was kind of upset with me when I took off to LA. Um, yep. and, and I, and I had to hide how enthusiastic I was about having an actual job <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Um, but I mean, I, I guess what advice can you offer to, to young people who are, or not, or not young people who are trying to, to find that home life work balance? I mean, re really the key is communication. You have to keep that door communication open. You have to be able to allow them to come visit you and share that with you. There's, you know, there's a whole bunch of great stuff that was just happening with the wellness industry and everything at home combined with touring just before COVID hit. Um, I'm also on the board of directors of the Roadie Clinic which the motto is happy home life, happy tour life, you know, and it's an organization that we've put together, you know, there's a bunch of us that have it. Um, but it's basically, it's a place for support for that. So your husband or wife, whichever one of you doesn't tour can call there and get support and therapy work and all that. The shit really hits the fan and divorce or anything is there. You can fly to, we'll fly you to uh, Michigan and we'll put you up in our house. We'll give you therapy, family sessions, whatnot. If your whole family comes with a kid, there's a suite being built on the third floor that will hold up to a six person family. Um, we have in-house doctors, in-house therapists. Um, we do have a sober program we just started, but this is not to be confused with the sober house or sober living. Um, so that now that's something you can go do, but really if, as long as you're clear and talk with them, like now that my kids, or 15 and 17, especially my 17 year old, we talk about it all the time. The one thing is, is I've never diverted from my passion or my work level. So they see how hard I work for the family, what I've done for them and what that's allowed them to do, you know, and give them privilege to, I could never afford sending them to summer camp or any of that if I wasn't touring or giving them the life I've been able to. So explaining it through and talking to them, yeah, so you're not going to miss out. I mean, you're not going to make up for missing out on certain firsts and stuff when you're away. But God willing, you're lucky to catch both of them. I, I was fortunate enough to be with artists that allowed me to be home the two times my kids were born. Um, and I was very fortunate for that. Some production managers don't allow that. Some don't allow families out on the road. And honestly, that's why they started the roadie clinic, you know, uh, Paul and Courtney, because they were in a situation where they couldn't be on the road together because somebody didn't allow family on the road, a production manager, um, which I don't understand. On my tours, Kyle, Kyle, no, with, families are always welcome. Obviously, if the artist is right there, can't have it. But, you know, I've watched Kyle's kid grow up over the years, you know, like I have with numerous people. And on Kanye, we had four fathers and four sons on the tour. Both, I had hired both father and son. And Kyle, you know, my head rigger, Rilo, I used to work for his daddy. And now he works for me full time. And so, and his brother, Ethan Murphy, he's in the business too. But they're both Fred Saunders stepkids. You know, so they, like me, grew up in the business, know nothing but. And so now it's, it's funny to be, you know, in business with those two cats when their dad used to be my boss. You know, Mike Drew, you brought up Mike Drew. Mike Drew's dad used to be a really well-known tour manager and production guy. Mm -hmm. You know, 
he just I just texted with him yesterday, you know. Um, so there there are multiple generation people out there, and you know, so that helps with the thing, obviously, because then you understand it more. But uh, back to the initial question, it's really communicating with your wife, husband, better half, other half, whatever, and your kids, and letting them know. And anything you can do to communicate them when you're gone really makes a big difference. Like the postcard thing has come back a hundred times. Like they like they knew I was at least thinking of them, you know, because it's hard. You get you know how this is. We get busy, all of a sudden it's two in the morning. And we, we should have called our kids or we should have called our wife. We should have called our husband. Shoulda, coulda, didn't, you know. So interestingly enough, and I know I'm kinda of all over the place, but um, on that basis, at the beginning of this tour, Justin Bieber's new tour, um, we had met with Haley and Justin starting in October, um, every Monday at their house at 8 a.m. And it was the first thing Justin said when I came in was, hey, I'm sorry. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I was such a fucking prick at the end of purpose. I cannot believe how I treated you guys. Woo, 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 woo. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? I said, we were all stressed. It was two and a half years at that point. I mean, we did we did six months. We went around the world twice on the press tour before we started touring. And then we toured for two years. I'm like, you can't put that on yourself, Justin. So the purpose was to have the full conversation about how do we make it better this time? How do we get it so the dancers aren't hurting themselves and families aren't getting divorced and the artist is becoming a prick? And, you know, what can we do to make things better? And Justin and Haley had come up with a plan. It was Haley originally that an hour a day has to be set aside for family hour. Basically, we had decided three to four in the afternoon because usually on my tours, it's a dead time or very quiet time. I, um, that was going to be family time where you on the day sheet every day, three to four, call your dog, your wife, your husband, your kids, whatever you have to do, take that time to call your kids. Obviously, if we're doing stuff, Certain people will go do that and then we'll shift times or whatever. But it was the first time I ever had an artist want to do that and realize how badly we needed it. And that rolled in all the way, you know, flash forward to just before COVID ended, where they had given me a budget to have wellness people on the road for the crew. So we were going to have someone out there. We were interviewing people we didn't know between like a yoga trainer, a therapist, a, you know, a trainer, trainer, what was going to be the best way to help the crew out on a daily basis. But instead of like the artists always have someone with them, the dancers used to have someone with them, blah, blah, blah. But the crew always gets kicked in the ass. Like there's never a masseuse for us unless we want to pay for it. All this shit. I'm like, it doesn't even make sense. So they gave us money so that we could bring out a wellness person for the crew, you know? And I'm like, duh, you know, it's just, so there's so many good things getting ready to pop on the road. I can't wait to get back to it and you know, start some of these initiatives. But during this COVID break, we've had the chance to build up Roadie Clinic and build up all these other things. And like podcasts, like you guys are doing it, people are talking. You're like, we're horrible communicators. We get on our roads, we build these families, we break them up. It's like PTSD every six months to a year and a half and starting over. You know, we, we need to make it a healthier environment. We need to make it better for the families. We need to make it better for us. It's like, I always want to do 18-hour days. I'm going to die on the road. You know what I mean? But we should do it healthier. We should be taken care of. You know? 
Well, I like the way you think. We definitely talk about the importance of health and wellness standards being improved across tour life. Before we jump too far into the next contact, uh, next conversation, and and really, you know, keep going from there. I, I want to go back real quick. Tell us where people can find more information on the Roadie Clinic. Um, you really can go right to the website. Um, there's a ton of information out on it right now. Um, RoadieClinic.com, um, .org, I believe. Um, it's a pop and it's all over LinkedIn. We're just starting a bunch of new initiatives. See, what happened is just before, just before I got involved, there was a lot of artists involved in donating to it and everything. And what happened is when COVID hit, everything went backwards um, and everybody locked up their money. And so there was no longer people donating to the clinic. So a big part of what I've done is come in and um, raise money for them and continue to. And uh, we're actually crossing with a big fundraiser coming up November 22nd by Level Up. Um, which is a phenomenal um, organizations to raise money for roadies, by roadies, and supported by artists. Um, and there'll be a lot of new information on that coming out shortly. Um, they put their first announcement out on social media yesterday, um, but that's a massive thing we're working on now um, that will link back to the roadie clinic. Excellent. Well, Hope you'll keep us posted on that, and we will certainly highlight uh, the Roadie Clinic in our resource center on our Hustle Like You Broke website and any messaging that you want us to share with our community. I hope you'll keep us posted on that. Happy to be supportive. That is, you know, to your point that you made about us, a, you know, few minutes ago. I mean, we started this pod- converse, this podcast in order to have these conversations to talk about advancing the industry to move it into uh, the future in a positive way to talk about the past, not to fixate on COVID, um, but but to look to the future and build a better business coming out of this. So we are hugely supportive, enthusiastic. Uh, you know, I, I revealed just recently, I've been kind of using these conversations as a case study model to build Uh, you know, my interpretation of a reasonable standards guide for the industry moving forward that certainly I'll be applying to the tours that I'm a part of. But uh, I think, you know, without sounding egotistical, I think that the broader industry needs to be adapting these same sorts of reasonable standards and looking at, you know, ways that we can just improve overall. We can, you know, take the work that, that you're doing, take the work that um you know digby and his group is doing and and all of that and really you know come up with a comprehensive guide to establishing as close to best practices as a renegade industry like this is is able and willing to embrace yeah and there is a lot of people embracing it and backing us we have some big big people in the industry that are pretty much guilted into realizing they need to take care of us and People starting getting concerned about how many good roadies and qualified roadies are going to be out of the industry at the length of this thing going away. You know, so we need to do more to support our our industry or they're going to be in a world of hurt when it starts back up. And now that the big wigs are seeing that that's an actual issue, um, they're starting to pay more attention to us. Shame on them for not doing it before, but at least there's some awareness coming now. 
um, and some support for all of us. And as far as, as Jim and what you guys are doing and everything, it's amazing how soon as we really are diving deep into this and actually taking from just talking to action that we're really all grouping together. Like Jim and I just, you know, got over a hump from many years ago because we keep coming into all these same places together. Like he's, he's also working with us on level up. He's also a big supporter of us at the roadie clinic. Um, and he, you know, he's, he, he's, he's doing a lot of great stuff as are a lot of people, you know, and what Paul sure. and Clemson and Courtney have done over at the clinic are just really cool. So, and it's actually happening. Yeah. Well, again, please keep us posted. Please use us as a resource. Please feel free to, you know, call me anytime that the, you could use a hand on anything at all. We are proud to be of assistance and, uh, you know, love the work you're doing. But moving away from, you know, again, this current moment in time, let, let's go back a little. Let's talk about the perspective you have. You know, again, you've been around for a long time. You grew up in this business Talk to us about young people coming up in this business, the, the perspective you're seeing, whether culture has shifted among, you know, perception of, of young oh, yeah. roadies entering the business and what have you. Um, I find there's a mixture of people coming in the industry. Um, before COVID, you know, I was struggling with getting people that, we're doing it out of the passion of doing it and actually working up through the ranks and not just saying, I'm a computer guy. I want to be this, or I want to be a production manager instantly. There wasn't a lot of people climbing the rungs the way it should. You know what I mean? And uh, I was worried about the up and coming generations because there's not a lot of great resources for us to pull crews from, you know, a lot of the great mentors have passed away um, they don't, they're not searching people out anymore. There's, you know, the up and comers have been a little tough or they just really feel, like, you know, they should immediately be making five grand a week and blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's been tough now saying that there's also a great crew of, of up and comers, you know, um, Mac is a great production manager up and coming. There's a lot of great, um, Sound kids coming, I've seen, you know, not just through um, the school in Florida, but other places. Um, but I think there's a, a huge hole um, that needs to get fixed there. So we do have trained people coming into our business. Um, and during all this, there's been a few schools that have popped up that are very involved in doing so. Actually, I have a podcast I'm doing tomorrow, We're not a podcast, an educational thing for like four hours at the University of California in Bakersfield, who had just started uh, basically a roadie program um, that they're going to introduce into the whole um, UC program. So it's starting in Bakersfield this year, but their plan was by next year that it was going to be everywhere. Um, so it's, it's another place we can get kids that are actually in coming up, have an education of it, have a passion for it, and we can start filling some of these holes. You know, everybody, you need to go through the steps. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't stress that enough. Like just to jump in, it's dangerous. You know, it's just, there's people out there, Kyle, I know you've seen it, where these younger people are getting these jobs because they're willing to do it for a thousand dollars less because they don't know how much work they're really going to end up doing. And then they fail at doing it. I'm not saying that we're better, 
but experience is everything in this industry. So I'm all about these young crews and young bands that like to have just youngsters around them. And, you know, some artists have actually said, you over the age of 35. You know, I basically got hired for a tour a few years later, and then they found out how old I was. Like, oh, no, you, you, no, no chance. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just hilarious. But I think through this time and everything that that's going to turn to. You know, there's a great program called Even out there right now, which is an educational system. I think the, the two women, uh, Kinetic Lighting here in LA, have started. Um, it's I forget what the Even stands for. It's like entertainment, vocational, quality network or something. But it's basically not just a quality. Um, one of the girls is from Belize. One of the girls is from South Central. And their whole theory when they started was they wanted to see more people like them on the road. And now it's turned into we need to educate, you know, people in high school that this is a job path that you can come, you can do well, you can make good money, you can see the world. And so those two young ladies have started this phenomenal program. And we're I'm working with them now and making it a national program. And we've actually linked them in with UC program now and have them talking about being able to target schools like they do for for jocks, you know, and football players and all that shit, that they could actually target the theater programs and the lighting and sound programs at different high schools and a developing more of those, but then being able to tie them in with the UC program to go into college too and come back out more educated, ready for all of this, because you can make a shit ton of money doing this business. You know, it is a very viable multi-billion dollar business and we don't, we don't have a place to grab people. All of us, I'm sure almost everybody on this call came through, you know, hard knocks, working local, doing all that, which is great, but we need to get more people in there. You, you see it, our locals, you know, they they just, they ain't on it, you know? So um, I I think we're on our way to make it better. Um, Before this, we also had a, a group on WhatsApp. I was the old man. There was like 45 kids on there between 25 and 35 touring roadies. And it was just to give them support. They'd be like, Grattan, I mean, he's bumfucked Egypt. I need a, you know, an SUV tomorrow. Who do I call? Stuff like that that you only know by experience. Um, and some of those guys on that, that call and gals on that call are incredible. Um, and that's another thing. The, the women have become so prominent and so strong and so smart. I just, it's great that the diversity is now starting to break and be more even. Um, there's, there's so much good going on. It was such a bummer when this stopped because there were so many changes happening, you know. But again, we're having time to build those up. So when we come back, it should be even stronger. I, I, I feel we're going to come back way stronger than we were before this happened. Well, I love the way you're talking, and I would add to that that we believe that in addition to educational programs, there also need to be on-the-road mentorship programs Amen. that allow people to really see firsthand. The question that I've always had, and especially living in the Boston area um, and you know, knowing the Berkeley community and what have you, I just remember I started as a label. I, Kyle mentioned it like a dick a few minutes ago but uh <laughs> you said not Matt <laughs> I I I guess I'm fortunate that I didn't grow up that in that school of art and 
Canucks the same way that others did. Kyle doesn't know my story or or think that the work I did as an agent, as a independent promoter, and as a producer of tours myself before I really jumped into touring. I was fortunate to jump into touring in a prominent position on high-level tours pretty quickly, but it came out of 15 years of scraping and putting up my own money as an independent promoter to kind of figure out how to do it. So I took a different path, but the the fact remains coming up out of Boston, I remember, you know, being among the Berkeley community. And I remember the first interview I ever took um, was actually at a record label because I actually did that for a minute before I pivoted. And the woman I interviewed with looked at my resume and and without even looking at my resume, she saw I lived in Boston and she immediately said, I hope you're not from Berkeley. And I said, I said, wow, okay, I'm not, but why would you say that? And she said, we don't hire Berkeley kids because they, they think because they can read a book on this shit that they know what they're doing when they, then they land in the job on the first day. And that's just not the world we live in. Wow. And um, I'm fired. (laughs) Yeah. I like, I, I thought, I think that that culture has shifted, but it speaks to the perception that education alone does not qualify a person for a job on the road. And I think there is truth in that, which again is why we think so much about mentorship on the road and getting people early exposure to seeing the way a show gets built being, a, you know, spending a day in the life, understanding the routine, understanding the expectation. Is that you, Kyle? You know yep. it is. Who else has a smooth jazz ringtone? That's definitely him. <laughs> He's in the mobile office, remember? Oh. Motherfucker, you crazy. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. Ridiculous. (laughs) Moving on, moving on. So, I mean, I feel like we could keep going on this for hours. Chris, you did actually, shifting gears slightly here now, you said on a podcast you recorded back in the spring, I think, I don't know if it was March, April, May, I... I just have a note here that you actually said on a podcast that the most important person in the music industry at the moment was the commissioner of the NBA. And we've actually talked about that as well. I'm curious, I mean, from your perspective, why that's the case. And uh, and again, we've had this similar conversation, but I'm curious your thoughts on all that. Well, back then, I thought it was 100%. He was the first one to pull the, the plug. And he basically controls all the arenas. So at that point, which was like four or five months ago, that interview, if I'm remembering right, um, he was the most important because depending on when the NBA was coming back and how they were going to come back, that that was kind of stating what would be happening in the arenas. And then we could figure out after he figured out what they want to do, what left space for us. Um, the NHL has some pull too, but obviously the NBA controls um, the, the buildings the most. They have the most money into them. So that was my theory on it back then. And, you know, he, what he's done now is kind of where we're all at. You know what I mean? There's no audience. Everybody's, we're still doing what they're doing. You know, um, I can't even watch it now. I, I hate those fake walls in the video. It drives me crazy. I feel like I'm in a video game. Um, 
is taken away from the sport as far as I'm concerned. I'd rather just be empty like the professional football in Europe. You know, that's just, it's to me, it's all distracting what they're doing. Um, God, I love the NBA, so it's, it's hard for me to watch it like that. But, you know, he's, I think he's done right. You know, he was right to pull the, the lead when they pulled it. You know, there was, everything was uncertain. He took a lot of grief for it. It was a big risk. He did it. He was correct. Um, and now we still sit in that same situation. Do I think he has as much control now? No. Um, I think now the only thing that's going to make it because we've proven in this country that, you know, we're very selfish and that we're never going to actually fix this. We, until we have a shot, I don't even think we need a cure anymore because they figured out how to, the death rates are so much lower now because they know how to deal with sick people better now with these, this virus. Um, but until we have a real shot or immunity one way or another, we're not, we're not doing any large scale shows at all. You know, I've, I've rebooked Justin 12 times now. Um, and we just re-released our dates last week for next year, you know, so, and I finally finished all of his bookings for, you know, the next year, you know, following that whenever we start. So it'll be interesting to see if we start when we thought, if we do our first shows June 1st, you know, in San Diego next year. Do I believe that that's a hundred percent fact? Nope. I don't know. I don't know where we're going to be. All these quick tests that are coming out right now are great though. You know, there's good signs. Well, there's good signs. And, and again, we could have so many conversations coming out of what you just said in terms of when we get back, how we get back. Is it next summer? Is it next fall? Is it 2022? I, I still think back to the first webinar I saw when COVID hit. And it was, I think it was right before we started or right when we were putting together the idea for this podcast, but we hadn't been recording yet. And who is the agent, Adam um, Metallica's agent, Kornfeld. The quote that Adam Kornfeld had made uh, at, way back when on this webinar, which still holds true, is that the house is still on fire. So we're talking about when we're coming back, how we're coming back, et cetera, et cetera. But we still don't know because the house yeah. is still on fire. Um, you know, we're talking about what, how to rebuild the house when it's still burning yeah. down. Yeah, that's, that's just uh, a fact. Uh, but 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 moving that aside, the other reason that I brought up the NBA, which I think is even more relevant today, not I, I, you were right. And we've talked about the fact that, you know, they closed down first and seeing what they do and where they go will be a, an indicator for us. But they're also leading the way again now in terms of public consciousness to a certain degree with the way they're allowing the players to express themselves, you know, with their uniforms yep. and they're allowing that voice that the NFL by contrast has always stifled, but, yep. um, but, but he is, is still very, uh, you know, very active and, and it, they, it's embraced by the NBA. So I certainly appreciate the commissioner there and, Kyle and I have talked about, and all of us, but Kyle and I especially have talked about how, where are the artist voices and all this? When are we going to hear more from the artists stepping up, talking about Black Lives Matter, talking about voting? Fucking amen to that. A bunch of fucking, it's unbelievable how nobody's spoken up. It's been so far and few in between, and that's part of the big move that we're doing with the... Um, 
show in the fall, um, you know, with Level Up is getting the artists involved. It's like, come on, we're there for you always, you know, and there's there has been very little voice, you know. The U2 did something for their crew. A few other bands did, but it's been very thin and very, very slim. And I've been surprised. And a lot of the big managers are just like backing out. They're not even getting involved. They're not saying anything. It's like, get your artists to do something. We've been there for you guys. Non-fucking-stop. Hello? You know, it's I, I'm, I've been shocked by that part of it. I again, we we we're saying the same. We we totally agree. I no disrespect to anyone out there, but you know, right. you got a voice. Please use it. Like now is the yeah. time. Speak up for the roadie community. Speak up for you know the country. Speak up for yeah. what you believe in. We understand the Michael Jordan quote: "Republicans buy shoes too." We get it. We understand right. that this could impact your pocketbook, but please. Please, like, use your voice. Let yep. us know what you think. You know, be a part of the the change for the positive, whether you get involved in something that's roadie-specific, whether you do like Pearl Jam just did and talked about, you know, voting, um, the importance yep. of getting out the votes, whether you embrace, you know, an alignment with headcount or something like that to yep. get people registered while you can. Like, please, God, again, the NBA opens up their arenas to allow voting and hopefully minimize the effects of, I, I mean, I'm sure that fucking dear leader will say something about the, you know, how we're trying to circumvent his efforts for gerrymandering and he'll spin it like, you know, the NBA is, is the devil for pr trying to allow people to vote and all of that. But he's the fucking devil. Exactly. Correct. So he's a fuck. I don't even, I try not even to pay attention to that clown anymore. We either vote him out or I'm moving to Portugal. I definitely, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely want to see him gone. If, if he's not gone, God willing, we at least take back the Senate so that we have control yeah. both other bodies. But either way, I, I think I'm moving out of the fucking country. You know, um, thought. I was thinking, I was thinking London or Paris just for sake of business. Hey man, I don't like London. London, I get violent in London now. Everybody's always got their head in their fucking phone throwing elbows. I feel like I'm playing football when I walk through London the last couple of years. So you can have London. But I like <laughs> Portugal. I like Germany. You know what I mean? I got... I've, we've literally looked at property everywhere because if I'm going to lose everything here and at this rate, I'm going to, I'm going to move somewhere where my money means something. You know, it's now I haven't been protected here. I paid taxes out the ass, you know, I insurances, everything in this country is fucking maddening. And now something serious happens and a pandemic and they can't do dick about it. Why am I, why wasting all my money? We ain't the greatest society in the world. We fucking suck. Now it's, it's that needs to get fixed. Um, and it's going to take a decade at least from now, but we'll, we'll see what happens in the fall. Yeah. I, I mean, fingers crossed and you know, everything you're saying, we, we again are, are speaking the same language and, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely, uh, advocate for getting him the fuck out and, uh, yeah. you know, he is definitely the worst thing that's ever happened to this country and it could take generations to rebound simple matter of fact. Um, looking past, you know, his bullshit, dear leader and what have you looking past, uh, COVID, I mean, talk to us more going back to getting back into work. I mean, talk to us about the evolution that you see coming 
and uh, you know what you think we need to do as as an industry to improve. And I I think it's completely changing constantly. I I think on the COVID thing, like I just said before, I went out and started getting all the certificates on how to be a COVID officer, what to do, boo boo boo. I feel like I wasted a bunch of time with that at this point because I don't think we're going to work with COVID. You know what I mean? I think it will. It'll downgrade to a point where there'll be a shot every year like the flu and blah, blah, blah. And it'll just become part of our, our natural life, sadly. But that that's what's going to happen there. So I think as far as all these people, including myself, who have gone out and got all those certificates and degrees and everything, that's great. But at this point, I think we're so far gone from it. I don't see us going back to work with it. So I, I switched again over to mental health. And what we need to do to make it a healthier work environment. And I'm also working on coming up with some sort of program that offers actual retirement and understanding of, you know, how, how to be in this industry and make the good livings that we do and set up retirement and how to do your bills right and how to invest and all that. And that's another thing, not to keep blowing up Brody Clinic, but they're doing there as well. You can call there right now. And they'll put you on the phone with someone to tell you how to fill out your unemployment you know, or tell you how to do your taxes or whatever. We're, we're offering all kinds of stuff to make it, you know, us to get us more into the regular world. You know, we're just like a military family, you know, and we come back, it takes weeks to get back into it and boo, boo, boo. And a lot of our roadies just don't know how to deal with the normal stuff. I think helping them with that, giving them opportunities to make investments and, and have a future in their life so that if something like this happens again, they're not just left with their dick in their hand. You know, it's it's really we need to do more for our community and actually stand by it and become more united, because right now, during all this, we haven't really shown we're very united till recently. Um, I think there's a lot of movements all of a sudden that are actually working instead of just chattering, um, which is going to help. But I think we need to stand together, you know, and uh, work together better, get rid of all the nasty aggression from yesteryears off the road and make it a better environment for all, including our families at home. Well, amen to all that. I, I, I would only add to that. That's another thing we've advocated for here at this podcast. And I believe should happen is some sort of oversight committee be established that has representatives from all facets of the touring industry. I'm not saying unionization. There are those who use that word. I don't work. know. Move, I can hear you, Matt, but that? I can't hear Chris. That won't work. Unionizing won't work. We can't pay into a system like that. We it'd have to be a non-union union where we can actually have 401k and health insurance and all that, which basically means building the right payroll service for roadies, which we're working on now. Well, we can't, I, unionizing doesn't. We can't pay into an old, archaic fucking system. It doesn't work. Well, I, I, I tend to think you're right on that. But my only point being, I, be it members of Live Nation and AG, be it representatives from the agencies, be it representatives from the managers, but also representation among the tour managers, tour directors, production managers, service providers, et cetera. A touring H&R. Exactly. Yep. It's beyond needed and always has been. Hundred percent, and and I wholeheartedly advocate that. It sounds to me like you should be one of the board members. Certainly, I would be honored to have a voice in such a process myself. I, I, I think it is absolutely, you know, something that needs to happen in order to build a better, stronger 
more representative industry and and achieve all the initiatives that uh, that that we're talking about here today. So I agree. I, I hope we don't get back to it and all this just goes away. You know, that's, that is the other thing, right? Is the, is the hope that we just don't go back to the way we've done it for 40 fucking years. So why would we change it type mentality yeah. when we come out of this? Because there will be a certain tendency for that. There will be certain, you know, agents and managers and no disrespect intended to anybody, but people who just will go back to, no, this is the way I want to do it. Now we've got to cut down that budget. Now we got to find the cheapest way to do this. And no, we look, we need to find the best way to do this. We need to build a thriving community and not just one where the people that, you know, are accustomed to grossing the most money, money continue to find new ways to covet their money. Um, You know, that. We have to come out of this strong and we've been needing to take a pause. And this has given us a natural pause to look at all these situations and how fucking fucked up touring really had become for all of us and how unhealthy it really is. It's this is a really, really welcome break. I think that we really needed without knowing it. I mean, I'm fucking let's get over it now and get back to work. But let's take all these initiatives and keep them strong. You know, all of it. You know, it is a, so much good stuff going on. I just don't want to see it wasted on the other end and people forget about it all, you know, and that, that would be the biggest mistake that we could ever do for the music industry is to go back to status quo has to change. Again, amen to that. Totally, totally agree. Now, Chris, while you and I have been doing most of the talking, that is fairly common on this podcast. I will say that, we lost Kyle. He actually, oh. his battery died out. He warned us in the beginning he might. We just lost him. He's not with us. Dallas, I've seen texts going back and forth saying that she's not able to hear most of what we're saying. Can oh, you no. hear us, Dallas? Can you hear me? She's not even showing up on mine. Like her blue line went away completely. Yeah, she just chimed in real quick. She can't hear you. You can't hear her. This is unfortunate because Dallas does lend an interesting perspective. But Dallas, I'll just relay to you, as you'll hear back when we when we release, that Chris basically echoes everything we've been saying about the importance of moving forward and doing better business as we get back to work. And uh, Brother Banks, you're still with us. Is that right? Yeah, I'm still here. I mean, spoken from the house of God and, you know, touching the, you know, the, the man himself, woman, rather, I should say, why, how, what, what perception and what, what, what insight can you lend us on that? Wait, <laughs> you wait, I'm sorry. You said two different things. <laughs> Are you talking about? I'm looking for you as an advocate and a client of the good Lord herself to, oh, to wow. echo or dispute or lend an opinion to the conversation Chris and I are having about coming back and coming out of this and building a better business. Yeah. Okay. We'll leave God out of that, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, we're <laughs> I, definitely in agreement. I mean, we've talked about this many of times and I just hope that when we come back, that there isn't just a rush and we forget about everything, you know, because I feel like it's just going to be a scramble situation where everybody's just going back to doing what they're, what they were doing before. And in a, worse way of doing it you know uh everything that chris has said is what we've talked about i mean we have to figure out ways to educate the people so that if a situation like this ever happens again that people aren't 
in these situations where they have no medical insurance, where they have no uh, retirement, where they have nothing set up, you know, as a, as a safety net. I mean, it's unreal. It's unreal. Yep. And that needs to change. And we've been talking about it for decades, but like you said, we're always moving. We're so busy. We all have known all this needs to change forever, but no one's ever doing anything about it. This pause, we have to capitalize off this, this pause. You know, I I was talking with Casey and everybody at, at ROC recently and, you know, their biggest fear is that we come out of this, people stop talking about, you know, the inclusivity there. You know, ROC started a while ago, but it, it was very low hum. And now it's a very loud chatter and it needs to stay because we have major issues with that. You know, it's like everywhere in the world. It's like we're all worried that people are going to come back and just jump back in and try to be status quo. And that's going to be the problem with some of the youngsters because they don't really realize how fucked it is yet. And I hope they don't jump in and try to underbid everybody and go back to the way it used to be. You know, that would be the worst. Well, again, let's 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 aim for that better business, focus our efforts on everything we can do to educate and to make those positive improvements that that move the industry forward and not regress post-COVID. And uh, and on that note, Chris, I mean, your voice is hugely valuable, hugely insightful, and again, echoes so much of what, uh, what we've been saying. So we appreciate that. And uh, we, we appreciate your time and you being with us. Uh, we've been taking over an hour of your time already. And we usually, towards the end of these segments, move into our quick hits. I really already asked my favorite question about things we need to do better coming out of this business. But just, just going back uh, to, to your early days, if you could tell us, first off, what, what was your first tour exactly? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, my first tour is really with Kitchen Sink Mine, um, a, a theater group out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, it was the first real tour I did was in a station wagon with two women and a man that were mimes and I was the only roadie, um, setting with a very low key, couple sticks of lights, couple speakers on sticks. And we played the whole school, um, program up and down the Eastern seaboard, um, in excess it was probably the first successful band I ever worked with, but my real touring touring when I came out here to the West coast. Um, and we never even got to the point that I toured for a while, stopped touring, went back to college and then toured again. But my, my first real West coast tour would have been, uh, Carly, uh, Carol King, um, with delicate, um, uh, early nineties. Um, and then just, non-stop from there but i did go start and stop um to go back to school at one point when i was out here because i had promised my father i'd always go back and get my ged so i did end up back at cal arts um in the late 80s and came out of there in the early 90s um so yeah kudos for you so you actually i'm glad that you you snuck that in so you actually did go back to school to get your ged you even took some college classes yeah, I went to Cal Arts. Um, what what had happened is when I dropped out and moved to New Mexico, where I was growing weed and you know falling the dead and boo boo boo, my best friend of life came to my little shack one day in uh, Madrid, New Mexico, and said, "Let's go." I'm like, "The hell are you talking about, Connie?" She goes, "Get in the fucking van." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "If I'm going nowhere, you need to go to school." My 
your dad and I filled out three different applications for you. You got into all three art schools. We picked Cal Arts for you. You're flying to LA and your mother's going to pick you up when you get there and you start school in a couple months. No shit. I was like, what? So I flew out here, went to Ventura High School, got my GED and went to Cal Arts that fall. Very Um, good. That was wild. Well, I'm glad to hear that and I'm glad you shared that with us. Thank you. Now, Dallas, like I said, is having some technical issues, but she wanted to ask and asked us to ask on her behalf. Going back to the conversation before about the need to build that thriving business and and in light of the fact that Bieber has actually embraced, you know, some of your philosophy in terms of the family time, in terms of the health and wellness, et cetera. Do you think artists will support the cost associated with really building that better business? I think the artists like Justin, who are aware of mental health issues and has been very upcoming and um, about his own issues, a hundred percent. I think it's not, people are talking about mental health now for the first time forever, you know, and I feel through Justin and a lot of other artists who have gone through it. And I think everybody on this call realizes most artists have gone up and down through mental issues their whole life. You know, it takes something special to get up on on that stage and you give a lot of yourself and you need to be able to replenish that and such. Um, I think through people like Justin and stuff, yeah, I think this will become a normal way and that we will get the support that we need on the road. And, you know, for us that are fortunate to pick the tours, hopefully we can always pick a tour with someone that does support us. I know I don't want to ever work with an artist that doesn't support the crew. Um, You know, I've been with someone in the last few years that I was told and I quit because of it, that I was always thinking of my crew and vendors too much. And I need to stop thinking about my crew and only deal with the artist. And that's when I resigned. Um, And there will always be a certain amount of artists out there like that. And, and to me, we're not bitches. Slavery was supposedly died years ago. Um, It's just, I, I have no desire to work for somebody that doesn't understand what we go through for them as well. So I, I know that's where I stand on it. Well, I'm glad to hear Bieber is supportive. And, and I do think it will take the next generation of artists. Bieber, of course, has been at this since he was so young that he's been yep. in the game a long time. But he's still in the grand scheme on the younger end. And, and okay, I think He's only in his 20s. Most people forget that, you know. Right. It's like it's been around for so long. Right, right. But, but it's good to hear that he does you know, support, you know, your perspective. And, you know, it, it is artists like him. It is artists like, um, oh, geez, her name is on the tip of my tongue and I talk about her all the time. Why am I forgetting? Young, female, green in her hair. Um, Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish, Billie yeah. Eilish exactly. Yeah. It's, it's these artists supporting, you know, a thriving industry um, yep. and, and not just the Pearl Jams and the U2s and the yep. Springsteens and the, the Dave Matthews. It's great that some of these older heritage artists, uh, you know, support, you know, a thriving industry. But we need the, the young people. We need the Beavers, the Billie Eilish, et cetera. Um, and, and that's that's they're the future. We need more of them. And we need this cultural shift to really take form and be embraced in order to, you know, have the luxury again, to the point you just made, Chris, of, of, you know, not, not a lot of us 
can just choose the artists we want to work with are so fortunate that we have these opportunities coming our way. There are a lot of people coming up that they take the job they can get because the job yep. that they can get. And we have all of us and, you know, work for somebody at some point who just doesn't give a fuck about the crew. And yep. that's terrible. It's yep. terrible. It's the worst because it rolls downhill from there. Exactly. So continuing on with our best hits, really just a couple more questions and then we'll get you out of here. We do really appreciate your time. On a lighter note, can you give us a favorite moment, a best moment? And by the way, I also meant to ask before we lost Kyle, if you could give us a Kyle moment that you'd like to share. And Ooh, if you have Kyle Curry, he, he'll, he's the one who will mix this episode you know, when it's over. So he'll hear it after the fact. I'd love to hear and I really want him to be on here though, because I wanted to discuss with him a date when we were in, it was either Nigeria or Uganda. One of the two with R. Kelly. Kyle and I had the interesting, <laughs> I was working with Robert a lot over the years. And we were doing one of our crazy African shows. And I say crazy only because over there, Robert is massive. We play soccer stadiums. But we're still on a, you know, 40 by 40 stage with TV antenna trussing and, you know, these massive stadiums where Kyle will go nuts because the PA is only big enough for like 15,000 people, but 80 to 200,000 people show up. And that particular show, we were in one of those scenarios. It was very unsafe in front of house. He had to be there at that point at that time. And him and I went toe-to-toe -to -toe over it um, because the production wasn't what it was supposed to be. Pretty much what happened is it was slated to be like 30,000 people. Everybody in the region decided to show up. They lost control of all the roads around the stadium. It was a complete debacle. Um, Robert was afraid to go on stage. I had to get in his van and talk to him and convince him to go on and try to convince him to do some of the hits that he wasn't playing at the time and just give the kids 40 minutes and get us out of there. Um but Kyle and I went at it just before doors and they ended up opening doors while Kyle and I were going at it um, on us. And so we just had to get back to business. But I want to bring that day up to him and see what he remembers on it, because it was it was heavy stress. It was, it, it was hardcore. Um, we went through a lot of stuff and I have so many different stories of touring over in Africa with many artists. Um, but that could be a whole show in itself. But some of those moments are also some of the best moments. So. Um, you know, I love the fact that I can travel anywhere in the world and do shows. I've done over 18 countries in Africa and almost everywhere else in the world. Um, oddly enough, I haven't done Alaska yet. But um, as far as the greatest moment, man, there's so many. I've been so fortunate to be with artists, um, either in their comeback or their pinnacle state or, you know, just moments or just pure magic, you know, and just... The first time an artist was on a stadium stage, like we had so many good days back in the biscuit days when they went from nothing to everything and tool going from, you know, vans to sheds to arenas. Um, I had some amazing moments with Tracy Chapman um, that just to this day still resonate very deeply with me. Um, soul cop and crowded house. I mean, God, I've been so fortunate to be with so many great artists that gave me so much, you know, the pumpkins, corn. I mean, God, I've been really, really blessed and I've loved every minute of it. The only bad times I had was working with artists that just made it harder to be out there than need be um, or just didn't respect everybody 
you know, in what they did. And more, most recently, my favorite tour, hands down, is Jay Balvin. That kid is amazing. He's always bright. He's always positive. When he comes in the building, he says hello to the entire crew. Before he starts the show, he hugs the entire crew to a point where sometimes it makes us late. Um, it's it's He is an amazing artist in the right time, singing about nothing but positive and acting that way. And he's really is that. That's not just a cover story. Um, Jay Balvin is an amazing up-and-coming artist. So It's good to know. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So we'll get you out of here on this. Any shout-outs or parting shots? Oh, to me, I don't, I don't, I get no parting shots. I thanks Kyle for having me on this. Thank everybody that's helped me in my career and all that and all the greatness that's going on right now to know people at the roadie clinic and building that and what we're trying to do a level up and tour tech and all these other phenomenal companies coming together to make a better life for everybody, you know, on the road coming out of this. So my shout outs to really to everybody that's working so hard on all that right now. There it is. Well, Chris Cratton, it's been a pleasure to have you. We really appreciate your perspective. Ky uh, well, Kyle, unfortunately, isn't here. So I, I know Kyle's parting shot. I'll just tell everybody, Kyle's parting shot for today is wash your fucking hands. Amen. Wear that mask and wash those hands. Exactly. And Chris, anything from you, my friend? Brother Banks, that is. No, I'm just glad to be back, you know. It's been a minute, and uh, I just think that we need to just definitely keep these issues in mind in November <laughs> and beyond, and just don't be afraid to just share experiences with other people. Some people just want to talk right now. Um, you know, if you're having an issue with talking, just say, hey, hey, I'll hit you back later on, but reach out to people that you know you haven't heard from in a while, just touch base and make sure that people are doing okay. It is voice of God right there, brother Banks. It was good to see you earlier this week, Banks, and I can't wait to be doing more work with you again soon. Dallas, if you're there, any parting shots from you? I'm going to give it a try if you can hear me out there. Gotcha. But, um, we got you. Yeah, vote your conscience. Definitely vote. Make sure you're registered. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Let's get back to work. Well, there it is. On behalf of Hustle Like You Broke, as we say every week, and it's been echoed by all of us here today, please vote. Please yes. wear your fucking mask. Yes. Wash your hands. Be a part of the positive change. Move this industry forward. If we can, how we can, when we can establish that oversight committee within this industry Please all use your voice, make it heard. Don't just stop with, you know, signing your name to a petition or, you know, saying you support the red alert restart. We appreciate all of that too, but that wasn't the end. This is just the beginning. It's time to move this industry forward, figure out how we can get back to work. If Coachella needs to be four weeks instead of two with a reduced capacity, whatever we need to do, however we need to do it to be safe about it, but get our crews working again. Let's figure it out. Let's get past that. Let's hope there is some sort of vaccine before too many years. And let's get back to fucking work. But again, until then, it's time to get Dear Leader the fuck out. 
And on that note, I'm just going to leave it right there and say to all our listeners, thank you and good night.